Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode 229 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. My name is Barbara. What's happening, partner? Well, let's see. I was in Kansas City earlier in the week visiting some labs, and attempting to get home was quite the challenge. And this was the last night, I think? Last night, yeah. So trying to come home on a Wednesday evening, and what was supposed to get me home at like 10.30 or 11, I ended up getting home about 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, God. Yeah. And you just... even traveled through my town. Yeah, so I was in Kansas City, and originally I was supposed to... I think connect in Chicago, which is like normal for Indianapolis, Mm -hmm. but the only flight I could find took me down to Tampa. So basically I went farther away before I got back. That's nuts that they would take you all the way south to Tampa to go all the way back up home. It's crazy. I don't understand it. There's no logic. You know, they blame weather. That's a half a country away on the problems and it's just what it is right now. And I was trying to get to Chicago this morning for my Cal Lab board meeting and sat on the plane. At, it, it's supposed to leave at 845. At 1030, they finally let us deplane so we can go get a cocktail, which is what I did. Or you <laughs> It's PM enough. And then, and then I never got back on the plane because it was two more hours. They still didn't have us. I said, screw it. Canceled it, moved it, and now I'm leaving tonight at 7.45. I was so annoyed. But I did come home and went for a 15-mile bike ride, so I got a bike ride in. Nice. Yep. Did they tell you why? I mean, our excuse was a big storm in Charlotte, the hub of American Airlines. So what was your excuse? You know what my excuse was? A (laughs) seatbelt for a stewardess. Shut up. hours to replace it and get the guys out there and get the OKs and get all that bullshit. I just actually looked on Southwest, and they ended up leaving at 12.30. So I'm glad I came home, though, because I just couldn't do it any longer. But A seatbelt? Yep. For a stu- just give them a regular seat. I know. <laughs> People on the plane left and, and rerouted their tickets. So, oh, well. Oh. Fun times. Fun times. That's terrible. And you sat on that runway for two hours? Yeah, for two hours. And then I sat in the bar. <laughs> but I still got into workout, so I didn't get drunk. But I was oh, yeah. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, it is what it is, man. You yeah. just go with the flow. And, I mean, it's not like it's stopping me. I'm I'm heading on a plane on Monday, so oh my God. I mean, <laughs> there's no other choice. No, there really isn't. Gotta fly. But that's exciting. So Cal Lab planning meeting. So we're going to have a meeting next year, huh? Yes, sir. We are. I can't wait. I know. Last year was tough. Yep. It was weird going to Chicago and not going to the Cal Lab meeting. Oh, so I can't wait. So it'll be tomorrow. So I'll give you a little uh, insight when I know. Yeah, just remember, let them know that we're willing to do the podcast on stage I would for Cal Lab. How great would that be? I will raise our hands, Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to dress up for this, I'll tell you. <laughs> You're willing to dress up for anything. <laughs> You're a polka-dotted slut. I know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. So we're two weeks away from the race of the future. I know. And the free education day. You mentioned you went for a bike ride. You ready? Oh, f- yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, you're going to kill it? I'm so ready. You should see my calendar. I've been working out twice a day now for three weeks in a row. Twice a day. So, yes, I'm ready. Sometimes I shower twice a day. It's about (laughs) as much as I do twice a day. (laughs) I think mentally, you know, once you get to mentally knowing that you've put in all the work, the race is just, you know, getting through it. So It's just like any other training day. That's the whole idea. I'm ready. Have you registered for the free day of education? Yes, and I the have. Dinner? And I'm taking Sharon, nice. uh, Sharon Belak with me, and we're going to the education day and the dinner. And you're going to be there. Absolutely. I've signed up for the education. That's free for everybody in the Chicago area. And the dinner is like 50 bucks, but it's going to be just a great group of people, and everyone's going to be excited for the race. Yeah. So, I mean, any chance I can get together with fellow dental people, I'm going to take advantage of it. So make sure you head over to dentallabfoundation.org to see all the information on the Education Day. They're going to have Tony Presbytito, Arian Deutsch, and Mike Ballerino are all teaching classes for free. Now, as for the race, 
Unfortunately, I couldn't get a team put together. But that's okay. I'm going to be there. I'll have my shoes, my hat, my short shorts ready to go and fill in for any team that loses a runner. You're a trip, dude. I thought you were going to say you were going to wear one of your costumes, but... No, that I would not run in. Oh, no, I know that. You know what? I might bring the Care Bear outfit and just bring it just in case. It was fun last time. Yes, it was. People could find me a lot easier. Sure can. All right. Well, Sean Nowak, I'm up to eight grand that I have actually fundraised. Thank you, everybody. Um, We made $500 at uh, Night Dental just in Taco Friday. So we're just really grateful for all the people that have donated. And I just wanted to say thank you. Last week, we said you were going to do a shout out for anybody that gave a good amount. Do you know any names? Oh, yeah. Jerry Regal, Rob Muir with Ivaclar, Morris Fucarino. Morris. He's such a good guy. My dad gave me another $200 yesterday. Heck yeah. Family good for something. Yeah. My sister, Sharon Bielak. Yep, yep. It's been awesome. Nice. Nice. There's still time to give to Team Barbara. Voices from the bench. Voices from the bench. Same website, dentallabfoundation.org. In the upper right corner, says Donate Now. Click that button. Fill it out. It tells you, like, what are you donating to? You choose Race for the Future, and then it says Racer's Name. And there you go. It's that easy. Just write Notch. Everybody knows that goes right to Barbara. (laughs) Well, thank you if you do. Especially after that earlier remark. So this week, we talked to the gentleman behind the wonderful software called Blender for Dental. Oh, yeah. Yes, this is a great conversation. Two brothers from South Africa found their way into the dental laboratory industry. Wolfgang and Michael Teniker? Teniker. Teniker. I'm going to go with Teniker. Teniker. Teniker? I don't know. Teniker. That even looks better. Wolfgang and Michael Teniker went to dental technology school in south africa after doing the required military service both continued to learn the craft loving ceramics eventually they partnered up and started a lab wolfgang went off to germany to learn new skills from the technicians over there finding germany too cold wolfgang was off to new zealand with michael following soon after Soon they were seeing patients because Wolfgang got his clinical degree. After splitting ways, they soon had labs on different coasts of Australia. Michael started to play with the Blender software as a hobby. But during COVID, time allowed him to start perfecting it for the dental laboratories. COVID! Yeah. And once again, COVID steps in. To give people time off. Yep. Blender for Dental was born, and it's constantly growing and expanding. So join us as we chat with Michael and Wolfgang Teniker. Have you unlocked your dental laboratory's potential through 3D printing? Well, with the Asiga, you can. Did you know Asiga has over 500 validated materials on their open material system? And it's growing every day? By harnessing Asiga's proprietary layer monitoring technology with its smart positioning system and its integrated internal radiometer, as a laboratory, you'll be able to produce any indication you desire. It doesn't care if you need models, splints, temporaries, or heck, even permanent crowns. Your investment will be future-proofed with Asiga's rugged engineering providing you with a fast, accurate, and repeatable machine with a reputation that is time-tested in the dental laboratory industry. If you'd like to learn more about the Asiga's machine or the material offerings, please visit the website at asiga.com. That's A-S-I-G-A dot com. Or contact your favorite dental reseller. And we appreciate your support of the podcast, Asiga. Voices from the Bench. The interview. Let's all go outside and do this. We are excited, super excited, to talk to two gentlemen from Australia, which, you know, Barb and I always love talking to people in other countries, but they're the ones that gave us Blender for Dental. We welcome to the podcast brothers Wolfgang and Michael... Tenecker. Hi, thanks for having us. Did he say that right, you guys? 
pretty much. <laughs> uh, thanks for having us, Elvis and Bob. Thank you so much for joining us. And as we have to acknowledge, thank you for getting up well before the sun over there to record with us because of the time difference. What time is it there, you guys? It's 6 o'clock a.m. Ooh, okay. That's the sacrifice. I won't even get up at 6 a.m. for nobody. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so who wants to start? Who got who into dental first? Who's the older brother, and how did this happen? And So, yeah, I'm the older brother, um, Wolfgang. Yeah. Both our backgrounds are dental. We are dental technicians, and my interest has always been in ceramics, and therefore... I've had a ceramic dental laboratory for quite a number of years. Michael's probably the guru when it comes to Blender, and he started way before I did. Um, So for me, it was a very quick learning curve. Yeah, I'll just get Michael to elaborate on his discovery on Blender. Before we get into Blender, how did you get into the dental industry, Wolfgang? I mean, we hear a lot of the stories about what happens in the States, but knowing a parent or a cousin or somebody that what sparked your interest? Well, I started back in South Africa and hence probably my accent. I can't quite lose that. That's something that kind of stays with you forever. Yeah. I love it. Bit of a mix of German. My family is also German. But yeah, as a youngster, this is kind of, it was a trade back then and it sort of got my interest perked. And I did my studies over there in South Africa and back then we still needed to do our military training, which I did after that. But very soon after that, I started my first business as a dental laboratory. Um, So it was a steep learning curve. And yeah, my passion was there. sat down with my paintbrush and got um, things moving. And I really enjoyed it. I actually loved it, you know, being able to create things and changing people's smile and things like that. Yeah, so South Africa was the starting point of this journey. Dental technician... My journey progressed up to this point here where we're just taking things from the the bench, so to speak, into the digital. So did you go to school in South Africa? Uh, Yes, yes. I went to a German school first and then to an English high school. But for dental technology, was there a school or was it all learned on the bench? No, we had a four-year program. One of these years was a practical training year. Wow. That's a lot of school. So while you were going to school, so your younger brother, Michael, so did you spark an interest when he went to school or was that well after? Well, for those who don't know, Mike and I are actually twin brothers. So we kind of embarked on this journey. Okay, so you're the same age. (laughs) When you said you're the older brother, (laughs) it's like, okay, 20 minutes. Hold on. <laughs> I did not realize that, obviously. It's very much older. Hey, I was oh, kind of enjoying that moment. You know, <laughs> so, Michael, how did you get into it? Yeah, well, we sort of followed the very similar paths. You, you know, back in the 60s and so on, parents, when they had twins, art was so cool, dressing them the same way and all of that mm. stuff. Same school, same everything, which, you know, while I've also had two twin daughters, but I've sort of changed that with them a little bit. But so we went to, um, to the German school. We were in separate classes and all of that. That's all good. But when it came to choosing a career, I went to see my dentist and he said, look, why don't you go to my dental laboratory and I'll show you around because these guys actually make all the money. <laughs> <laughs> what? So, I thought, oh wow, this this should be really interesting. So when I went there, I saw them working with wax patterns and so on, and I thought, wow, this is really cool. I kind of enjoy this. So then both of us, we thought, okay, well, this is quite a good career. Actually, Wolfgang did um, something else first, microbiology or something, but then he. Um, sort of jumped ship and started the dental technology route as well. And then I sort of worked in Johannesburg um, for a year. Now, th- this is after the military service because we all had to go to the military service in South Africa. How long was that? A year? Well, initially it was two years, but they changed it when the Mandela government came in. They changed it to one year. So 
my military service got cut down from two to one year, which was really fantastic. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll say. But it, it was really good for me because I could work in a dental lab there. So I furthered my ceramic skills where usually, you know, this is not the way to do it. As a quite newly qualified person, you always get stuck in the lower ranks and you, you do all the, the crappy stuff and the dental the and so for me, it was really good because I could step in and just do ceramics. And I learned a hell of a lot there in the military. And then after that, I worked for someone for a year and then I started my own business. Wolfgang and I went into partnership. And yeah, we ran a successful dental lab in um, Johannesburg for, for many, many years. How big was this lab? Was it just you two or did you... We had a few employees. Did you go through the school together at the same time? Yeah, we both went to the German school in South Africa in Johannesburg and we both speak German. And yeah, and then Wolfgang went to Germany to work um, in Germany for a while. Wolf, maybe you want to elaborate on your... Yes. So after, you know, when things turned a little bit custard for myself, my family in in Johannesburg, of course, I had the opportunity of having German parents to um, shift to Germany. And being a young 20 odd year old, I took my backpack and off I left. And um, oh, the good old days. Yeah, <laughs> I've got more than a backpack now. Actually, there's a lot of junk like, sitting around the house. Um, yeah, so I got employment in a larger laboratory in Cologne, and I was exposed to immediately these amazing telescopic works and mm, combination yeah. works, only working with gold and. It was like a big step up for me. And again, everything's been a learning curve, which so I thoroughly enjoyed um, working there and, you know, learning from people who've been in this field for years and years and years. And, um, you know, getting all this crown and breech work um, coupled with chromes and all of that linking into together, it was just fantastic. After this, I decided, well, Germany is a bit cold for me and, uh, you know, the lifestyle coming from South Africa, it's, it's been a huge adjustment. A little bit of difference there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I thought, you know, I enjoyed it while I could and I decided being a, you know, traveling young person, I thought, okay, let's maybe give um, maybe the US or Australia or New Zealand a go. And for me, I... I put in my applications and to my surprise, a month later, I got the application to sit the exam in Otago. In, it's a south part of New Zealand because you need to sit an exam to um, migrate to New Zealand. And that uh, off I, I got onto the, you know, virtually the next flight, sat my exam and I managed to get into New Zealand and I settled there for about 15 years. Um, wow. where I, again, of course, you know, I had very little and I said to Mike, you know, you better part with some of that old equipment. <laughs> he sent it my way, you know, half of it or whatever, um, old rusty things. And So you um, opened a lab there? Yes, yes. And I was very quickly, I was inundated with work. The times were, you know, we could go out and, you know, chat with some of the receptions of the dental surgeries and the success rate was, I don't know, maybe 90%. I'd walk in, yeah, you know, I've got some equipment and I can do your lab work. And things grew very fast and I needed help with the work. And I said to Mike, you know, why not, you know, come over to New Zealand and uh, join me. And that was about two years later. And then he joined and we, we built up a new new laboratory, which was a, a lot bigger than the one in South Africa. We probably had 12 employees. Um, dental oh, wow, that's pretty big. Accessory staff and things like that. But then I decided to study on and I got my clinical dental technology a qualification, which is like a, a dental prosthetist, essentially. 
Sure. So, so you went back to school? Yes, I studied again oh and the, therefore I could see patients and this was just absolutely awesome. And yeah, um, making dentures and things like that. And we started the denture company. We had a jingle on the radio and all kinds of things. <laughs> so it was really fun times, you know. We Looking back at my life is I wouldn't have changed it. Um, one situation led to the next, to the, to the next. As it does with everybody, we all have our stories to share. But it's been an amazing journey, you know, this dental technician. Mm. So Michael came into the picture. Maybe, Michael, you want to chat about that? Yeah, well, then I got a call from Wolf one day and said, look here, come to New Zealand. Um, I've got too much work. And I was in South Africa and really struggling at, at that time and, you know, paying loans and all of that. And it was just an absolute nightmare because a lot of our dentists left because, you know, when the Mandela government after they came in, a lot of people migrated to Canada, UK, mm-hmm. Australia, New Zealand, all over the world. And I probably lost about 70% of my clients. Wow. wow. That was tough for me. So there, there was only one choice and that was to pack up my, my kids. And, you know, they were two, two years old by then. And, you know, just to have a new start in life also for my, my children. And we moved to New Zealand and straight away I got into New Zealand. Um, it was very easy for me because I, uh, I entered New Zealand as an employer, you know, so they basically through the, my, my residence and passport or, or everything that, that came almost automatically for me. And then we worked, as Wolfgang said, we had, we had quite a few um, people working for us. And then Wolfram became the prosthetist and we had a lot of patients coming in. And, and then we, one day we thought, I think it was 2003, we thought, okay, well, why don't we build surgeries and employ a few dentists? We moved out of the premises and we, we built up a surgery with uh, like two surgeries with a laboratory. And we started to employ a few dentists to work for us and we called it designer smiles mm. and they grew quite quickly and before we we knew we had another uh, two surgeries in Wellington so two in Auckland and two in Wellington which is about a thousand kilometers away yeah so we've we had four dentists working for us and a whole lot of staff doing cosmetic dentistry yeah and then 2008 came along with the global crash and everything fell into the water because, you know, people didn't want to spend money on cosmetic dentistry. Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, we had to sell shop. And um, so those were hard times again. You guys went in and out of a, a lot of different changes in your first, what, 20 years? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of as far as dentistry goes, we've got the big picture of it, you know, from the waxing to the final fitting of um, amazing ceramic work and life-changing transformations. So we kind of encompass the full body of the profession in, in some ways. Then my journey started to the Gold Coast. My wife, I married an Australian girl. <laughs> So that was kind of, she, you know, back in New Zealand and going back to Australia was always kind of for her on the cards, maybe not too close to our own independence from family and things. I got the offer on the Gold Coast and I took it. I worked as a prosthetist there for a while and then again started the journey, building a lab and so on. And then kind of Michael followed, my parent followed and we started over and then we started the journey of Blender for Dental, kind of. Mm. Um, Michael had his own laboratory here on the Gold Coast. I run my separate laboratory. And then it came the juggling between the CAD work and the laboratory. <laughs> so, um, And here we are now. Um, Michael started, like I mentioned earlier, that um, he got into Blender way, way before that, back in the day starting with his jewellery designs and things like that. Mark, maybe you want to talk about that. Bedridden with a hernia and, you know, for a while. And then what's what's happened is that I thought, okay, let me have a play with um, Blender. 
So while I was um, sick in bed, I thought, okay, well, let me do a few designs. And you know, it, it, it actually came quite naturally to me to design things. Um, so then, you know, I taught myself watching YouTube um, tutorials on Blender. Then what I did is I listed myself as a designer in a company called Shapeways, now, Shapeways hmm. is one of the largest 3D printing companies in the world. And before you know, I had a lot of people come to me with their prototypes and um, jewelry requests and all types of designs. Um, funny enough, the, the first design that ever came to me was like a person wanting me to make a, a, a gun. <laughs> and, a gun? Yeah, a pistol. Well, and, to design one, you mean? Yeah, to design it. He, he sent me all the plans and everything. I called Shapeways and I said, look, is this even legal? And they said, no, <laughs> absolutely not. You can't oh do that. God. So I abandoned it. And, um, the, you know, that was kind of weird for me. But when you do 3D design, you can do anything you want to design. I mean, you know, which is sure, yeah. Blender, you can use that. But then I worked from one project to the next. Um, I made a, a leg for a, a dog that's lost his leg. And that was quite successful. That's cool. Yeah. So all types of things. Um, like I think about three years ago, I thought, okay, well, why don't I take my design experience and transform that into dentistry, use it for, for dental. So I taught myself how to do Python language because um, Blender's all written in Python. And I started tampering with a few codes on how to make a cube and just very simple things. Mm -hmm. And then it just grew, you know, it was just baby steps from one thing to the next. And before I knew it, I could make a model and then I could hollow a model. And then what we did is I packaged up uh, the the model designer. We started and I said to Wolfgang that there's just too much work for me here to do, that he needs to take over the marketing of this um, product, which he then did. So he's sort of started doing the websites and the tutorials and so on. Yeah, so that's sort of the beginning. And then when COVID hit, I made a conscious decision to, you know, either I carry on, you know, part-time with Blender, Blender for Dental, or, or, or I start doing it full-time because at that time I did it for like a year and a half, you know, every day I would come home and work on this project, but it just got too much. So when COVID hit, I decided that, okay, I'm going to sell my laboratory and start doing this full time. And wow. this is this is where we are now. What design systems were in Australia? And are they the same all over the world? I mean, 3Shape, ExoCAD, are all those popular there? Yeah, you see, we're at the stage, we've got very limited choices. And the, the world of dentistry is, we, we're at a turning point. We've got... You know, people doing manual analog way, and then you've got others doing the digital way. So there's a lot of people stuck in the middle. And I found that if I didn't move forward, I would be losing work. And I did start losing work because my clients got their scanners in and all of a sudden I couldn't accept STL files. I was in a situation where, you know, what do I do? Do I purchase one of these programs, ExoCAD or 3Shape, at a huge cost? Because the margins actually in Australia on dental laboratory crowns or whatever you're making are very low. So, you know, that's it, it's quite an expense for people, you know, in other parts of the world to to go into digital. And that was probably one of my deciding factors to take my knowledge and start doing and um, start writing programs to give other people an opportunity to open up the market so that we, they can also um, get into digital dentistry. Talk about a little bit, because you, you did dental technology in South Africa. Wolfgang, you did it in Germany. Now you're doing it in Australia. Does anything kind of come across that was really different between all the regions or was pretty much, you know, the same workflows, the same products, the same design? 
Was there any difference between the countries? Yeah, I think um, the Australia and the South Africa scenario for dental technology, you know, dental laboratory procedures is fairly similar. Okay. But back then, well, we're talking about 20 years ago when I worked in Germany, it is a massive change because we don't just do molars and, you know, occasionally six anteriors. You know, this is just common day practice where you're working on very large cases. And the material, the end product quality, in my own opinion, is by far greater in countries like Germany. And that is because they've got just immediate access to this kind of technology and the precious metal market was still very much prevalent there. Laboratories wouldn't really work with non-precious metals and things like that. Mm. So I think uh, from that point of view, it is greater. And yeah, so, you know, you, you gain the experience by being a traveler in some, some sense. In Australia, we've got um, more dentists acquiring scanners, which is probably a, a good thing. More so the younger, you know, the universities are adopting this technology and it's more common place for the younger graduates to get into this digital dentistry. Yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, we are sort of on a tipping a point um, in, in our professions where, like Michael said, we've got to choose, have the niche artistry laboratory uh, with handmade products or then migrate now to this digital revolution so to speak yeah yeah sounds very similar to here in the states yeah 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 Yeah, with where it's going what would you say is you know the state of the dental lab industry in australia we say it's strong well i would say it's it's very competitive okay i think during the last 15 years, I think New Zealand and Australia are very similar. A lot of our work has been sent overseas, you know, Mm. offshore to other countries, you know, like China and Vietnam and other places where dentists can get their crown and bridge work for dirt cheap, which has unfortunately squashed our prices down to very low margins because now we have to compete with these yep. other countries. Now we go knocking on the door to, to get work for a new client, for example, and they would shove us the price list of other countries in front of us. And it's like, you know, can you beat this type of price? Yeah. And this is really unfortunate because I think that in the last 15 years, we've we've hardly had an increase in um you know, in prices, which is really unfortunate. And a lot of labs have then, from bigger labs, have moved into their garages. And, you know, we've got a lot of one-man bands, you know, trying to survive. Yeah. Which is very unfortunate for our career as a whole. I don't know how it is in the USA. Very similar, sadly. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I would say. Very, very similar. We went through, you know, a large part that a lot of work went offshore. I think, and Barb, I don't know if you agree, but, you know, in the last four or five years, it's starting to shift back, I think. Yeah, I actually do believe that. Yeah. I think a great importance is the relationship that we have within our professions. And, you know, that that beats anything, especially when, when I kind of stepped into Blender for Dental full time, the handful of customer dentists you know i've really valued that that relationship and i think it it was mutual we um there comes a a kind of a trust that we we kind of trust each other with the work and the patient gets such a better outcome when we we work in this tight group i mean this referral is commonplace in dentistry and being a laboratory and within this referral program is so very uh, important, I feel. It's like word of mouth. Yeah, and, you know, the patient is will get better outcome if there's a good relationship with the laboratory making the smile, basically. But more and more um, surgeries are stepping into digital, which is great. 
And I think that the future is there and we need to embrace it. And no matter what challenges we are we have now, the trajectory is just forward. We can't go back. So we we may as well grab hold of it and make the best of it. For us now to sit down and learn these new programs, it's super important. And you know, the, the milling machines, for example, as far as accuracy goes, you know, there's no debate. They are by far more accurate than the human eye and hands can deliver. So um, it's just the aesthetic part that we, we're still working on. I mean, we've got multicolored pucks and things like that and staining and things like that. But the lifelike outcome of the transparency within the crowns and the ceramic I don't think it's quite there yet, but uh, I think not quite. we're heading in that direction, absolutely. Yeah, well, you're quite right there, but my, I've got a bit of a concern there as well because, you know, us oldie dental technicians, we learned about tooth anatomy and aesthetics and where, what cusp is meant to go where and so on. Now we have probably a new generation that only do digital and in, in the digital world it's it's not it's not a tooth it's just an object it's an object mm. with mesh underneath it so i think the a lot of you know with some users the aesthetic eye has been lost because they don't quite know what the aesthetics are you know when you build something by hand like if you build a house by hand or whatever or you draw a house you know they're very um, different different things and you know I've seen some work which is absolutely excellent but then again others not so good so I think there's a variation in the digital world as well and of course you know the other concern is that you don't really have to be a dental technician you know um, to to do this type of work and you know this is something that I think of quite a lot as well yeah Michael that's true and also um, the competitive nature between laboratories is ultimately drives the quality of dental restorations you know we always we need to be better than our opposition laboratory. Either, you know, we, we're competing for this work. Yeah. Um, but with, with digital, it's not like that. You know, the, yeah. the end user, the, the dentist, he's the sole person now in charge of the quality. The competitive nature is no longer there. So these are things that, um, you know, do play on my mind a little bit. Yeah. Well, when we all have the same equipment, it's hard to get different variations of an end product yes that's right that's right and you can always tell when a technician is just copying the similar tooth <laughs> and pasting it and then i suppose with digital dentistry you know it's very easy that one person gets this tooth library as you know being the ceramic work the ultimate outcome but another patient might have the very same tooth library so they we all got the same kind of <laughs> oh. we, we we had a good laugh the other day because wolf and i thought yeah why not get celebrity smiles scan so that you can okay i want the same teeth as um tom cruise oh. <laughs> yeah you That's can actually just, a great idea you, you can just copy those teeth and put them in your mouth <laughs> That's not a bad idea. I can think of at least a half a dozen times a case came into the lab with a magazine cutout. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for sure. So are you guys designing for dentists? You said you had a handful of clients. So if they send you their files, are you designing and they're doing their own in-house milling? No, no, we don't actually offer a design service. So often people come to us and ask us to design an implant guide or whatever it may be, a hybrid. But no, we don't, we don't do that. Our main focus, our sole focus is on developing this project. So my workflow is um, looking at codes every single day, scripts to make these modules yeah. for Blender and then Wolfgang's sole purposes for marketing and management and customer uh, relations. So Blender starts, you have this blank design software that can design anything. I mean, what's the first thing you have Blender do? A molar? Where'd you start? Look, when you download Blender, 
the tools that we've created don't exist in Blender. So, for example, you want to cut a model, for example, with a lasso mm-hmm. or something. These tools do not exist. So there's, there's a lot of coding behind each sure. and every button. Like, for example, one of my buttons is 2,600 lines long. And, Holy you know, boy. every time you press that button to, say, generate the crown in the crown and bridgework module, it will have to read through 2,600 lines. And so there's, <clears throat> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of scripting behind each and every procedure. I think the basic fundamentals are like Boolean operations. So imagine object A and object B, they're kind of overlapping each other. And then you create this cut and then you left with object C. So to be able to have a cutting tool, you've got to actually make this object. So you could imagine making a, a cube and then you're using that cube to cut all kinds of other objects. It's, it is fairly, has been untapped blender in dentistry, unlike mesh mixer. But, you know, if, if I could compare, you know, mesh mixer is probably a little old VW Beetle and, you know, it's the blender it might be a, a luxury vehicle, you know. Blender is massive. It is a um, free open source and it's developed years ago. And it keeps on evolving. So there's a whole lot of people that very intelligent coders that contribute to this massive Blender project. So we're tapping into that. Blender for Dental are basically modules that like a menu as such that will appear on the right hand side of the Blender working window. Now, each menu is specific for making a certain task, like for making a model, for example. So the um, user will then get a set of tutorials where um, they'll learn basically how to import a scan and then how to turn this into a dental model. That was the first module we started with just about three years ago. It was very popular because people, Mm. they want to, you know, get into 3D printing, what do I need? You know, what are the the options? Well, the sellers of 3D printers might lay out three or four options, you know, which are mostly quite costly. So yeah. unless you learn things like Mesh Mixer or Fusion 360 or one of those other programs, that might not be Dental. So, you know, coming in, downloading Dental, you see this blank screen and it's very daunting for people. They now, what what do you do with it? Are you going to spend hours on YouTube? You know, time is very precious. So um, the the modules are basically geared up for newbies. You know, people who have never even navigated in the three D space. So we go through everything from the very very beginning, and before you know it, you can make a model, and then people start venturing out into other applications in Blender. Our whole Blender for Dental had kind of a natural workflow and progression because then we were asked, well, I want to put a logo on this model. So then we started making a logo module. Yeah. And they all fairly low cost. We didn't want to, you know, make an expensive software. We want to make it accessible for kind of everybody, the software. And then we kind of brought in everything that we do in the dental laboratory. Even even making a crown or so is mimics the exact same workflow. You know, you'd make a model as we do in a lab. We'd cut dyes and then we'd block those dyes out. And if you understand the, the logic of the, the making of, say, a crown or special tray, it is exactly the same that we've mimicked into the, the software, the workflow. So you purposely make the user go through every step. Yes. Yeah, so Blender's not, our program's not wizard driven, which has got pros and cons to it. Mm-hmm. Um, one, you, you've got to relay back to the tutorials and memorize that the, the workflow is basically going down the menu and using the left to the right button. So you, you're flowing down the menu. Each button has got a label that's kind of intuitive what you're going to do next. There are like tool tips that help users along the way. But yeah, so you, you, you've got to 
have a bit of a memory there because not wizard driven. That's probably the con to it. But the pro to it is that there is no limit. You can veer out of the the modules and really do, you can do non-dental CAD design. Once you understand the fundamentals of the Blender program, and you will because you're starting at a basic one, two, three level, you quickly learn people's interest is perked by this amazing software and they will venture out and create all kinds of things. And this is what the, in my opinion, um, the dental softwares are lacking. They are limited to the boundaries of their wizards and do not necessarily allow users easy access to other procedures that uh, you might want to incorporate yeah so what all can blender do i mean you've mentioned model you mentioned crown how much dental technology can it handle it can do everything everything that, everything everything that the dentistry softwares can do you can do in blender yeah so i mentioned that we we start with the models making logos then we special trays the thing about blender for dental is it is also user driven and shaped what i mean with that is People come to us with these amazing ideas. Oh, guys, can you incorporate this random thing? And then Mike <laughs> and I will have a think about it and think, oh, nah, maybe not. Sounds like a technician's question. <laughs> <laughs> and then we think, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, why don't we incorporate this new feature? And then we've got this way of updating the modules very quickly if it doesn't involve a menu button, you just hit the update button and new scripting is downloaded in the background. So mm. we, we, we can evolve this program very, very fast. If somebody asks us was for a feature, uh, we could you know deliver this virtually overnight if we think it's a good idea. So in that way, the user-driven formula is is imperative to this, the success in, uh, of this program. Do you ever get any bad ideas? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah we, I, I think no idea is bad, but some of them are like, like questionable, you know. There's more questions. <laughs> yeah. <in laughs> What's a bad idea? That's a great question. Uh, well, some of them are, might be like, if we were to implement this, then fingers were would point our way if it would turn uh, out horribly wrong, you know, because yeah, we need to think sense. about the medical classifications and, yep. you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, we, we don't want to do, trouble. We don't want <laughs> to risk anything. Yeah. Yeah. One bad idea, I think, is that there's always like this mission to do things with one click button you know can you can you guys do a clueless splint with one click button type of operation oh that'd be nice and you're like no way (laughs) there are programs now that have ai and they claim that they can make an occlusal splint in like like two minutes or something you know with one click or something and i mean that's a bad idea because we know as dental technicians that we need to work with undercuts to retain these splints in the mouth and so on. There's a lot of planning that goes into these things. So sometimes I look at pictures on Facebook or whatever, and I think to myself, you know, how is that splint even going to retain itself in the mouth? You know, and so these are bad ideas because the faster you go with something, it doesn't always pan out the, the the correct way, you know. I mean, how many splints have we redone in the past where they've come out of the mouth? So we want to avoid all of these things, but in so doing that, we need to develop the software to do it correctly. Yeah, I think, Michael, yeah, that's right. The one-click button operation seems to be in vogue right now. And in some ways, I feel that the term AI is being misconstrued because AI is really computer self-learning programs. And hypothetically, yes, we can make a a one-button splint. It runs through all of those algorithms in one go. But do we call it AI? No, we don't call it AI. So I think... AI is really being used for like marketing. Marketing, yeah. 
Marketing. Well, people want AI to mean do it for me. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it right. is a hot button lately. I mean, I've heard it more the past three months than I have in the past 10 years, for sure. That's right. That's right. It's very interesting. But with your blender for dental, you guys can do custom abutments? Yeah. Wow. The custom abutment module, we I'm still working on. But yeah, we can do custom abutments, which we're going wow. to release soon. One of the biggest missions for us was to get implant parts. Wolfgang, maybe you can elaborate on that one. Yeah, so when when I um, go back in a couple of years, well, two years maybe, I would approach just about every single implant company I could think of, you know, the big mm. brand names and things, and wrote letters and asked them for implant libraries, things like that. And, of course, because users need that, and these are generally still very much locked into these two or three dental softwares. Yeah. Um, and partly reason being that for protection, they don't want their STL files being um, milled overseas somewhere and then resold and, you know, piracy reasons. Sure. So that's understandable. So I think uh, that was a big hurdle, but then we got one implant company on board and that followed by the next one and then followed by the next one. Now we really can, you know, kind of brag about the inclusion of some very well-known implant companies for their parts and we are very thankful for that. Of course, we rather do it the right way with the implant parts because there's a lot of oh, yeah. parts, even from you know known and protected brands out there that are floating the internet that one can get hold of. So we do understand piracy in that, but you know these parts are available whether you like it or not because the sure. internet is just massive. Piracy is out there, and these parts are not that protected anyway. So we want to offer them in the correct way so that users understand the workflow and nothing goes wrong and the integrity of the system is still retained. So that's quite important. So I imagine these implant companies are going to be wanting to validate your software with their milling and there's probably a lot of back and forth. Yes, that's right. So we might get an inquiry from an implant company to include their parts into Blender for Dental. Uh, then we go through a period of, you know, how, you know, how are we going to do this? And, you know, they might be curious as to, we might send them a video. This is how we do it with other implant systems. And then eventually we might get a file of, all the parts and they could be <laughs> in the thousands and some sure. some implant companies their their naming systems are just amazing and their mesh qualities are incredible precise anybody who's working with blend for dental has an understanding of the mesh geometry because we teach that in our in our tutorials mm. and i've got to say some of the implant companies out there it's you know a bit questionable, you know, the meshes and the, <laughs> the, the way that the actual labeling of the file system goes and you sometimes wonder, you know. But having said that, yes, there is that to and fro and then I'll send the, my draft of the library the way we want to present it in Blender for Dental over to, to their designers and then they will give it a final quality check to see if it's complies with everything The you know we haven't mixed up any parts or the orientation is different than from the parts in say exocad so we want to get this out in, in a uniform way and a lot of the parts we know as dental technicians that when we get an implant job to do that first we've got a source uh, we don't recognize this part and sometimes it can be quite a headache then we've got to go mm -hmm. to the surgery and say oh what part is that then they've got to look it up they've got to go to the specialist notes to find out what implant part is so yeah. it is a massive massive then we've got to go into catalogs and find a little part by a number <laughs> it's a real real headache so one of my jobs is to make it a less of a headache. So I've got things pre-organized, you know, click a thumbnail image and it'll import, say, 
the scan body, the analog, and the mesh geometry for the hole in the 3D printer. Oh, that's interesting. All, all of these parts are already pre-sourced, and um, I think that it's great. Uh, you know, people don't we don't we want to take the struggle out of it. Let's not forget, Michael. You're writing code for all this, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. It's uh, it's, it's quite difficult, but I uh, bet. Recently, we put the the iBar. I don't know if you've seen the iBar module, which is really quite. It's quite a hot seller for us. You take a hybrid that you you may have designed in Blender for Dental or ExoCAD or Three Shape or wherever you've designed it, and then we reverse engineer a bar on the inside, and that's really interesting because we we redesign the the screw channels. And um, so it's a different way of making a bar. And none of the other softwares are able to do that. So we're focusing on uh, different things that, you know, 3 and Exocad users can then switch over to Blender for Dental. Like, for example, we're um, busy with a company in Italy called Ruthenium. They, they make um, denture teeth worldwide. And they've come up with a project of um, flasking a denture digitally. They've patented the idea. So we are busy developing something like that. So again, Three Shape and Exocad users who have actually made a denture and they can then jump over to Blender for Dental and use our program as well. So we're working on ideas which, you know, uh, other softwares can't can't do. The other idea and module that we have out there is uh, we've worked with a company called Hyperdent and MicroM where we, we, we take Crown and Bridge with, again, whether it's made in ExoCAD 3Shape, doesn't matter. But we will pre-nest that into a milling clamp that is specifically designed to incorporate two different technologies. So if you imagine you're making your crown or bridge um, digitally, and then you would send that that bridge out for SLS metal sintering. And then you would take that metal sintered bridge and put it back into the special clamp for final milling of, say, the implant interfaces if it's got little multi-units so we've moved into this multidisciplinary technology uh, which is amazing because instead of just milling a bridge out of a a puck say for example you would then first send that bridge out for metal sintering and then just fine-tune it with milling so you would save yourself a lot of material and uh, cost of tools and things like that yeah, and of course you need a wet milling machine to mill titanium or, or crumb cobalt. Mm-hmm. And some users have requested having that because then they can use a, a dry milling machine because they're not milling much. There's, you, you're milling like 0.1 millimeter of a surface or something, the fitting surface of a multi-unit abutment or something, and the, the rest of it has been lasered sintered and, and it's already on sprues that you just screw into this clamp. So there's quite a few projects like that that we are working on. And also the other thing is the vertex split. Now the vertex split is a plastic injection molded base where instead of making these um, gala dies in, in the digital which slip into the printed model, we have a system where it's like a very traditional way where you just cut the dies and then they will then fit into like a serrated base which has been injection molded and um, yeah so we've we've worked on that and that seems to be quite quite good because once you've got that articulated in the articulator, any patient's uh, dies for crown and bridge work can fit in there without having to re-articulate the, ca- oh. the case. Yeah. Wow. You guys got a that lot going remarkable. on with this stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned people taking designs from 3Shape and ExoCAD into Blender. Is that how you mostly see Blender for Dental as like a, a stepping stone outside of the other ones? Or can someone use just Blender for Dental? Yes, you can just use Blender for Dental. But there are some people that have been using ExoCAD for the last 10 years. and Oh, you know, sure. Yeah. They, they are very reluctant to move over to Blender for Dental. But in saying that, a lot of our Italian customers have ditched the other programs, and they are just using 
explain the food angel. Now, I don't know why it's the Italians that are doing this, but <laughs> we've got a lot of Italians doing this. So, And then, of course, we, we've got the German market, and the German market are so used to Exocad because it's come from Germany, now sure. owned by Invisalign. But then again, they struggle with the mouse moods and then they, they couldn't be bothered with um, Blender for Dental. So it just depends on which country. I think the countries that are less fortunate in their, their currency exchange and where it's so, so very expensive, they would then just head straight into Blender for Dental. And in saying that, we've got universities now that have actually adopted our Blender for Dental for their students to yeah. start learning, which is quite good for us. Do you have any idea how many users you have? Oh, uh, it's a tricky question. Uh, we've got a lot of users and worldwide. So when we, for example, we help people, we might, you know, I'll be in Russia on some computer <laughs> or I'll go to you know, Brazil and then I'll go to Germany and wow, just very, very widespread. Well, how many do you think we've got? Quite a few thousand, I think. Wow. Yeah, it'll be well. Good for you guys. Maybe 10,000. I, I can't say. It's very difficult, but yeah, it's it's growing. And when we started Blender for Dental and coming back to the user shapes of software, I've adopted this uh, team mindset where it's really not only Michael and myself um, who are responsible for the production of Blender for Dental. We've got other programmers that we work with, collaborators, but also more so we've developed this uh, tutoring um, network where we have this accredited um, instructor program, we call it. The reason being is that we want to maintain the quality of teaching for Blender for Dental at a very high level. So we decided we want to include an instructor program and then get people to do like a mini exam for for example they would send us uh, videos of a certain task they want to make and then we'd say okay you guys are qualified you can now teach blender for dental mm. and this gives a new opportunity for um, course providers because they can then um, teach it and you know earn money out of um, this as well and while maintaining a high quality and again, they would have students saying, oh, instructor, can't we have this and this? And then the instructor would come to us and say, oh, maybe can we include this and this? So it's, we're shaping the, the product from the bottom upwards, not other way around. Not all the time, yeah. Wow. You guys are doing some amazing stuff. I had no idea. I just have one last question. Has it penetrated the USA market? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. I should Absolutely. already know that, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm not like Elvis. I'm not on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, all that stuff. I'm still surprised to hear you. It's only three years old. I mean, wow. I swear we were using this at the lab for six years ago, but I guess not. Seriously. Wow. I got to crawl out of my hole then. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine your U.S. market's taking off quite a bit. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, we have this um, online Zoom. Luckily for Zoom, we, we get the opportunity to give uh, lessons. And we've stopped it for a while now because we've been inundated with these projects. But on a Wednesday, we would every Wednesday, and we'll keep on going, we'd have a Zoom session for free. People could just log in and, and have a look and see how we're going yeah. to make an occlusal splint or snore guard or even implant guide. So we'd over that hour, we'd actually go through A to Z making maybe a stackable guide even. We've done that in the past. So we do rely on Facebook and YouTube social media yeah, a lot. Cool. Um, of course, we've got people stumbling across the website. And then, um, yeah, so our biggest challenge is probably getting the software into other languages. Yeah, like, fortunate that we've got... Um, our tutors that speak other languages that drives it forward, mm. but uh, it it is the language barrier that is it's it's difficult to to get over. Yeah, we've we've got thirty four instructors at at the moment, which is yeah. So so as Wolfgang said, we want to maintain a very high standard of 
of teaching. We don't want anyone to buy the modules and start making video tutorials. That's not how we see it because it's just they they will not be accredited then. You know, we need to keep that standard up high. Yeah, this could spiral out very quickly. Yeah, it's, so it's very yeah. similar to Exacad. They have their accredited programs, and Blender for Dental is not dissimilar to that. So what's the website? I mean, is it just blenderfordental.com? Yes. Is it spelled out for or the number for or what is it? No, just F-R, F-O-R, so for. Okay. So blenderfordental.com, and that's a good place for people to get started. Yes. Awesome, gentlemen. Thank you so much. This is some fascinating stuff. I had no idea there was so much history behind it. I find it hilarious that you worked on Blender for, what, a couple years before you realized you could even use it for dental? Oh, yeah, that's cool. (laughs) And you're a technician? It didn't dawn on you, but that's funny. (laughs) I guess I wasn't ready. My skill and my knowledge wasn't at that stage where I could actually make a crime. You were thinking that way. Yeah. (laughs) That's great, gentlemen. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and we appreciate everything you've done. 6 a.m., Thank you. 6 a.m. and giving us a an alternative to the expensive softwares out there. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks yeah, for absolutely. having us, Elvis and Bob. Was 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 a pleasure. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Whitmix offers you the ultimate in ease, material flexibility, and unattended production with the Roland. DGA DWX 52 DCI milling machine. The popular mills automatic disc changer expands your lab's production and profit using a 6-slot automatic disc changer, 15-station automatic tool changer, and several other automated features. The DWX 52 DCI dental milling machine now comes with performance software and other intelligent updates. The 5-axis mill even knows which tool to automatically swap out when tools have reached their designated lifespan. Just power it on, let it go, and automatically and accurately mill numerous dental restoration jobs with complete unattended confidence. If you're interested in learning more about the Roland DGA DWX 52DCI, visit Whitmix.com or call 1-800-626-5651. And as always, we appreciate your support of the podcast, Whitmix. Well, I'm so glad I don't have to say their last name, but a huge (laughs) thanks to Wolfgang and Michael for coming on our podcast to talk about this amazing software that you guys have brought into the dental world. Thank you also for sharing your amazing journey and how you got to the point where you can focus on the software. It's super interesting to see the similarities between the U.S. and Australia, especially when it comes to the state of the industry. We really appreciate all you guys continue to do and listen to technicians and keep making Blender better. Head over to BlenderForDental.com to check out the software. Thanks, guys. All right, everybody. That's all we got for you. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye-bye, full moon. Full moon. Hold on, give me a minute. That's cool, I can edit this.